let's um, let's let's finish up. We left the crew um, with the three sleepers on that magical island. You know, the three guys that are sleeping have been sleeping for seven years there at Aslan's table. And of course, that location is the beginning of the end. Again, the table is uh, an expression of the end. You're starting to experience the end when you're at that table. We talked about all that theology last week. So in chapter 14, basically, they meet Ramandu. Ramandu is the um, or Ramandu is the is the father of the beautiful lady you met at the end of the chapter last week. Uh, Ramandu comes out just like his daughter did first. Comes out. He comes out not not carrying light, but he comes out being light. He comes out and he speaks to the crew there at Aslan's table, and they ask him. How do we awaken these three sleeping lords of Narnia? And do you remember what he told them? Got to go. Go all the way to Aslan's world. Go all the way to the end. And you've got to leave somebody there. Well, that, of course, made their day. Uh, If you look on page 207, it made particularly one of them's day. Uh, I will gladly tell you, my son, what you need to do to awaken these lords of Narnia, said the old man. To break this enchantment, you must sail to the world's end, or as near as you can come to it, and you must come back having left at least one of your company behind. And again, before you even keep reading, you know who it is that's going to want to be left behind in Aslan's world. And what must happen to that one, asked Reba Cheap. He must go on into the utter east, and never return into the world. That is my heart's desire, said Reba Cheap. Again, when C.S. Lewis in a letter mentioned the whole point of this book, it is a story of the spiritual life, especially as you focus on Reba Cheap. Reba Cheap will do whatever to get into the kingdom, to get into the full presence of Aslan, and to stay there forever. So um, you notice, go a little bit further in this chapter, on page 213, you get an amazing statement from Repachip that shows you his passion to get where Aslan is, to show you his passion uh, to find the kingdom and to reside in the kingdom and to never return. On page 213, um, he says... Third sentence down, third line down in the first big paragraph. My own plans are made, is what Reba Cheap says. While I can, I sail east on the dawn treader. When she fails, I paddle east in my little coracle, that little boat. When she sinks, I shall swim east with my four paws. And when I can swim no longer, if I have not reached Aslan's country or shot over the edge of the world in some vast cataract, I shall sink with my nose to the sunrise and peep a cheap. Peep a cheap will be the head of the talking mice in Narnia. He says, I'm going to get there regardless of what it takes. I'll sail on the big ship. I can't go any further. I'll sail on the little ship. I can't go any further. And then I'll swim with my four paws. Um, That's the passion of Reepicheep, to get 
into Aslan's world. Uh, again, I think you're hopefully you're picking up what C.S. Lewis is putting down. You know, this should be the motivation of our spiritual life, that we will do anything to follow hard after Aslan, to follow hard after Jesus. This is the prevailing central passion in our life. But I love that expression from Repachip as to what, what he will do, what he's willing to do, what he's willing to invest in order to make it to Aslan, to make it to Aslan. So that is basically chapter 14. So they, they, they leave the island. Uh, they start heading further east. So they are, they're heading east. And they go through beautiful water, beautiful water that tastes sweet, beautiful water that's so clear. You can see the shadow of the boat down on the bottom of the sea. They start seeing these sea people. Uh, you see a picture of some of the sea people on page, in my edition, 224, one of Pauline Baines' is, uh, sketching. You see a picture of the sea people. They're seeing these beautiful sea people underneath. They're seeing the... Um, uh, shadow of the ship and his beautiful water. Uh, life is just feeling better and better and better the closer they get to Aslan's world. Uh, and rem you're reminded of the prophecy. Prophecy is important in the Bible and in the Christian faith. You're reminded of the prophecy um, that Reba Cheap had heard. You see it repeated on page 228. Where the waves grow sweet, doubt not, reap a cheap, there is the utter east. So the, the water's growing sweet, sweet. Um, it, it becomes like drinkable light is, is, is how it's referred to. Uh, again, they, they, they're, they're making their way. They're making their way. And um, that takes us to chapter 16. Uh, so in chapter 16, which is entitled The Very End of the World, um, they, they leave the ship. They are in the little coracle, the little boat. You see a picture, a sketching from Pauline Baines um, on page 242 of my edition of them in the boat. You see who it is. There's Reepicheep. Uh, the Pevensey children are there um, because to begin with, you also have Caspian. But as they're selling, it becomes more and more brilliant. Just look on page 233, second page of chapter 16. After that, for many days, without wind in her shrouds or foam in her bows, across a waveless sea, the dawn treader glided smoothly east. Every day and every hour the light became more brilliant, and still they could bear it. No one ate or slept, and no one wanted to. But they drew buckets of dazzling water from the sea stronger than wine, and somehow wetter, more liquid than ordinary water, and pledged one another silently in deep drafts of it. And one or two of the sailors who had been oldish men, they're still aboard the ship, when the voyage began to now begin to when the voyage began now grew younger every day. So they're getting younger as they're getting closer to the eternal kingdom. Everyone on board was filled with joy and excitement, but not an excitement that made one talk. The further they sailed, the less they spoke. And then almost in a whisper, the stillness of that last sea laid hold on them. 
They keep going and they see what looks like a great, great, great field of whiteness. And you remember what it ends up being? Lilies. Lilies floating in the water. By the way, I hope when you read that you recalled, what kind of flower do you put in church at Easter? Lilies. So you're getting close to the eternal kingdom here. And then you take a little interesting um, detour. You take a little interesting detour because what happens as they're getting very close to the eternal kingdom, and again, they're supposed to leave one person there. And of course, Reaper Cheap knows who that's got to be. It's got to be him. But as they're getting closer to this amazing um, end of the world, this amazing eternal kingdom, this amazing Aslan's land, you see that Caspian, King Caspian, pretty much says to the crew, he wants to abdicate. abdicate. He wants to quit being king. He wants to stay there. Um, that doesn't go over well with the crew. Uh, and, uh, and you, you know, it's not going to surprise you again. It's Reepicheep who says to uh, Caspian, and it does rather look like Caspian's having a little temper tantrum here because he doesn't like to be, he doesn't like to receive pushback because he wants to stay too, just like Reepicheep. Um, but they're all saying you, you can't stay, Caspian. You've got duty. You've got a job. You're king. You're king of Narnia. But then on page uh, 239, and remember, Caspian's only like 16 years old at this point. So he's kind of throwing a teenager temper tantrum right here. Um, notice what Reepicheep says to him on page 239. If it please your majesty... We mean shall not. He shall not do this. Said Reaper Cheap with a very low bow. I mean, he's, very, he's being very respectful to his king. You are the king of Narnia. You break faith with all your subjects, and especially with Trumpkin. If you do not return, you shall not please yourself with adventures as if you were a private person. If you ever want to learn what it means to not be a private person, to not be your own person, um, I think one of the best examples in our era is go study the life of Queen Elizabeth. She knew from the beginning she was no longer her own. She belonged to the realm. She belonged to the commonwealth. Uh, it didn't matter what she or the family wanted. She was, and that's monarchy. That's monarchy. Our culture doesn't understand that sometimes you're called to roles in life where part of what you let go of is being a private person. Being a private person. Um, I, I hesitate to say this, but I'm such an old school person, and this has changed dramatically in the 40 years I've been watching. I'm such an old school person. I knew that when I answered the call to ministry, I gave up any option of ever being a private person. My life is not my own. My home is not my own. And those brick walls are clear glass. You know, I don't have a private life. Um, what's even more fascinating, and I, I'm not sure all people who answer the call to ministry today understand that in this world. Um, my generation 
to a certain extent understood that, and it was fading away at that point. But what's even more fascinating is my wife understood that when she, when she married me. Now, she knew what she was marrying because she married. I was on staff at her church when I was 23 and she was 19. I never wanted my children to know that. <laughs> Nobody should marry when they're 23 and 19. But we did back in those days. But my wife knew what she was getting into when she married me. And that's why she's followed me all over this state. That's why, and this is so countercultural today. She knows that her calling is always yielded to my calling. That's why now she's called to do hospice, but that's why she's done hospice in High Point, Davidson County, Macon County, um, Jackson County, and Cleveland County, because she has followed me around to do that. Uh, we don't have a lot of jobs. You know, we even have presidents of the United States now who think they get the right to a private life. Yeah, and that's just, we, we've known throughout Western civilization that there's certain callings, certain roles, you are not a private person. So um, I remember I, I, I stood on the, um, to show you how things have changed, and this is just a little tangent. I was standing on the um, steps of Harold Center up at Lake Junaluska. This was probably 30 years ago. And I ran into a, a clergy that I knew pretty well. He had gotten into trouble because he took a female Duke intern and then he moved her into his house, the parsonage. His marriage dissolved. Well, yeah, I wonder why. Um, but anyway, that got him in trouble with the bishop and the cabinet. And I remember walking into, and I hadn't spoken to this guy in a while because I was probably avoiding him. But I was walking to him, and I, I met him on the steps going into Harold Center, and he was talking. Well, at that point, he was out of the ministry. He was there because he was working for a pictorial directory company who was trying to get business in local churches and hanging out with all those preachers. So I walk, and there he is right in front of me, and he, he starts kind of ranting that he was mistreated by the bishop because the bishop and the cabinet took him out of the ministry. He got to leave the ministry with his new young female friend. And I'll never forget being shocked. He looked straight at me and he said, what I do in my private life doesn't affect my public ministry. I thought that was stupid way back then. I mean, what you do in your private life, affect, what any of us do in our private life affects whatever we do in public. We should not be two people ever. And uh, some people need to realize they don't have a private life. It's not theirs anymore. Anyways, I love Reap a Cheap speech to King Caspian. He does it respectfully, uh, saying, no, you, you can't go on with me. You've got to go back to Narnia. You are the king of Narnia. You shall not please yourself. Nobody in our culture wants to hear that anymore. You shall not please yourself with adventures. And we know how much Reba Cheap loves adventures. You shall not please yourself with adventures as if you were a private person. And if your majesty will not hear reason, it will be the truest loyalty of every man on board to follow me in disarming and binding you till you come to your senses. 
And there's a reference to the Odyssey and Ulysses being strapped to the sail till they got past the sirens. Yeah, I'm sure you know by this point, Homer's Odyssey is sort of in the background of, of Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Yeah, so um, that didn't quite work for Caspian. But then who shows up to um, support what Ripachik told Caspian? Who shows up? Aslan. If on page 240, um, uh, it's no good, Caspian says. I might as well have behaved decently for all the good I did with my temper and my swagger. Aslan has spoken to me. No, I don't mean he was actually here. He wouldn't fit into the cabin, for one thing. But that gold lion's head on the wall came to life and spoke to me. It was terrible, his eyes... Not that he was at all rough with me, only a bit stern at first, but it was terrible all the same. And he said, he said, oh, I can't bear it. The worst thing he could have said, you, you're to go on, Reap and Edmund and Lucy and Eustace, and I'm to go back. So he, he, he doesn't even get as close as um, Edmund and Lucy and Eustace, and certainly not as close as Reap and Cheap. He's to go back alone with his ship. And at once... And what is the good of anything? Caspian, dear, said Lucy, you knew we'd have to go back to our own world sooner or later. Yes, said Caspian with a sob, but this is sooner. You'll feel better when you get back to Ramandu's island. And again, I already did the spoiler alert last week. When he gets to Ramandu, Ramandu's island, what does he, what is, what, does, what happens to him? He marries, yeah, he marries Ramandu's daughter. So anyway, so then they jump in the coracle. You're on page 242. There's the coracle, the little boat. You see who's in it. There's Reap Cheap at the front. There's uh, Eustace and Edmund and Lucy. And you see them uh, plowing through the, the white lilies in the water as they're getting closer to Aslan's world. And then we'll close. First, I want to show you, I want to show you Reap Cheap going into Aslan's world. Look at 244. They get to that place where the sky and the land meet. And by the way, I don't typically like it very well because it frustrates me. But the movie, the latest movie of uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, this is a beautiful part. Just, just go to YouTube. You have to pay to watch the whole movie, like on Prime Video or something. But if you go to YouTube and just uh, Google Voyage of the Lone Treader movie, the ending, it's about a two to five minute clip that you can see the ending. And it's, it's worth watching. You see how the water comes down to the land. And then you see what happens after they get there, including this moment. So here they are at the world's end where the, where the sky, water, it looks like a waterfall, where the sky comes down and meets the land. At that moment, 244, at that moment with a crunch, the boat ran aground. The water was too shallow now for it. This, said Reepicheep, is where I go on alone. They did not even try to stop him, for everything now felt as if it had been faded or had happened before. They helped him to lower his little coracle. Then he took off his sword. I shall need it no more, he said. And he flung it far across the, li the lilied sea. Where it fell, it stood upright with the hilt above the surface. 
Then he bade them goodbye, trying to be sad for their sakes. Um, a lot of times I think that's what I'm watching when people are dying. They're sad for who they're leaving. And, you know, sometimes I, Tammy and I both experience this. Sometimes the dying person will talk to me or her, my wife, the hospice nurse, will talk to us because they want to talk about going on. But they know that's painful to the family. And it's sad to talk about that to the family. Because, and they're sad about leaving the family, and the family's certainly sad about their loved one dying. But um, the person that's dying, if the person's dying in Christ and knows the promises of God's Word, it's mixed emotions. Should be mixed emotions for the person who's dying. That's why John Wesley said, our people die well. Yeah, if, you know, if you know the promises of God and you're in Christ and you understand grace, that's why John Wesley could say of the Methodist people, our people die well. Um, so here's, here's Reba Cheap trying to act sad for the people he's leaving behind. But he's, he's so excited. Um, then he bade them goodbye, trying to be sad for their sakes. But he was quivering with happiness. Lucy, for the first and last time, did what she has always wanted to do, taking him in her arms and caressing him. Then hastily he got into his coracle and took his paddle, and the current caught it, and away he went, very black against the lilies. But no lilies grew on the waves. It was a smooth green slope. The coracle went more and more quickly and beautifully. It rushed up the wave's side. And in the movie you kind of see that. It looks like he's going up a waterfall. For one split second, they saw its shape and reap a cheap on the very top. Then it vanished. And since that moment, no one can truly claim to have seen reap a cheap the mouse. But my belief is that he came safe to Aslan's country and is alive there to this day. So there's where Aslan went. I mean, there's where reap a cheap went into Aslan's world. Now, um, on the next page, and I'm just going to finish reading this this is this is where John chapter twenty one is in the background of all this. If you, hopefully you know John chapter twenty one. So I'm gonna start where it says. But between them, here's here's the three kids, Edmund, Lucy, and Eustace. But between them and the foot of the sky, there was something so white on the green grass that even with their eagles' eyes. Because remember, they're getting healthier and healthier as they get there. Even with their eagle's eyes, they could hardly look at it. They came on and saw it was a lamb. Yeah, Lewis is getting pretty obvious at this point. They find a lamb. Come and have breakfast, said the lamb. That's a direct quote from Jesus in John 21. Come and have breakfast, said the lamb, in its sweet, milky voice. Then they noticed for the first time that there was a fire lit on the grass and fish roasting on it. Again, exactly what Jesus did in John 21. He roasted fish uh, in his post-resurrection state. He roasted fish and he gave the disciples breakfast. Uh, they sat down and they ate the fish, hungry now for the first time for many days. And it was the most delicious food they'd ever tasted. Please, lamb, said Lucy, is this the way to Aslan's country? Not for you, said the lamb. For you, the door into Aslan's country is from your own world. What, said Edmund, is there a way into Aslan's country from our world too? There is a way into my country. So now you have experienced Aslan as the lion and the lamb. 
Yeah, this is pretty obvious biblical stuff here. You have experienced Aslan as the lion and the lamb. There is a way into my country from all worlds, said the lamb. But as he spoke, his snowy white flushed into tawny gold and his size changed and he was Aslan himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, have you experienced the lamb and the lion and now the lamb has turned into the lion, towering above them and scattering light from his mane. You can just see him shaking his head and scattering light. Oh, Aslan, said Lucy, will you tell us how to get into your country from our world, from England? I shall be telling you all the time, said Aslan, but I will not tell you how long or short the way will be, only that it lies across a river. Again, how many hymns do we have about death is crossing a river? The way into Aslan's world in your world I can't tell you how long or short it will be or when it will happen, but it will, it will, you will cross a river. But do not fear that, for I am the great bridge builder. That, the Latin for bridge builder is Pontifex Maximus. Um, that is a title that eventually bridge builder, the great bridge builder, the number one, the supreme bridge builder, um, here is Jesus, um, yeah, bridge builder. Eventually, don't mean anything negative by this, I guess, maybe, but the Protestant enemy is showing. That term comes eventually in Christian history to be used for the Pope, the Pontifex Maximus, uh, uh, the, the pontificate, the papacy, Pontifex Maximus. Yeah, um, and even the Pope should tell you on his best moments, I'm sure the Pope would tell you, the real Pontifex Maximus is Jesus Christ. I'm pointing you to the real Pontifex Maximus, but he, the Pope is sometimes called Pontifex Maximus. And now come, and now come, I will open the door in the sky and send you to your own land. So it's time for Aslan to send them back to England. Please, Aslan, said Lucy, before we go, will you tell us when we can come back to Narnia again, please. And, oh, do, do, do make it soon. Dearest, said Aslan very gently, you and your brother will never come back to Narnia. Most of us assume, and we're not sure about this, that C.S. Lewis assumed this was going to be the last. The Chronicles of Narnia would not be a seven-book set. It was going to be a trilogy. Um, But the fascinating thing is, within a month, he's writing the next Chronicle of Narnia. But it kind of feels like this was meant to be an end, maybe, but maybe not. But, but Edmund and Lucy never get to come back. Dear, said Aslan very gently, you and your brother will never come back to Narnia. Oh, Aslan, said Edmund and Lucy, both together in despairing voices. You are two old children, said Aslan, and you must begin to come close to your own world now. It isn't Narnia, you know, sobbed Lucy. It's you. We shan't meet you there. And how can we live never meeting you? But you shall meet me, dear one, said Aslan. Are are you in England too, sir? Are you there too, said Edmund. He can't get, this is the most obvious C.S. Lewis gets in the Chronicles. I am, said Aslan, but there I have another name. What is the other name? Jesus. (laughs) In our world, his other name is Jesus. 
I am, but there I have another name. You must learn to know me by that name. Yeah, in our world it's not Aslan, and Narnia is Aslan. Our world is Jesus. By there I have another name. You must learn to know me by that name. This was the very reason why you were brought to Narnia, that by knowing me here for a little, you may know me better there. Again, what's the, one of the main reasons he wrote these? Read these to your children. So when they start hearing our Bible stories, they're going to sound familiar. They're going to feel familiar. They're going to feel familiar. These stories will help them hear the Bible stories even better. Uh, by knowing me here for a little, you may know me better there. Now watch this. And is Eustace never to come back here either? Said Lucy. Child, said Aslan, do you really need to know? Do you really need to know that? Now, obviously that's John 21 again. If you remember John 21, there after they ate breakfast, at the end of John's gospel, um, John the Beloved um, and Peter are walking together, or Peter and John are walking together, and um, he's talking to Peter. Remember all, all that, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me, Peter, all that stuff that took place. He's walking with Peter, and Peter, being Peter, sees the beloved disciple, John, and says to Jesus, well, what about him? And you remember what Jesus says? My paraphrase is, it's not your business, Peter what I do with him. Again, this is John 21. Uh, and is Eustace never to come back here either? Child, do you really need to know that? So it's John 21, but this also may be an indication he did intend to write another book. Um, and Eustace does get to come back. Um, come, I am opening the door in the sky. Then all in one moment, there was a rending of the blue wall, like a curtain being torn, and a terrible white light from beyond the sky, and the feel of Aslan's mane and the lion's kiss on their foreheads. And then the back bedroom and, and Alberta's home in Cambridge. So they're back where they started out at, there. Aslan sent them back so that they can learn, him by, learn of him by a different name. In his world. Now notice, here's the ending. One or two more things need to be told. One is that Caspian and all his men came safely back to Ramandu's island. And there the three lords woke from their sleep. Caspian married Ramandu's daughter. And they reached Narnia. And again, in the silver chair, which is the next one, this does pick up and continue. Caspian married Ramandu's daughter, and they all reached Narnia in the end, and she became a great queen and the mother and grandmother of great kings. The other, now this is interesting, the other thing you need to know, he says, is that back in our own world, everyone soon started saying how Eustace had improved. Yeah, Eustace changed throughout this book. How Eustace had improved and how you'd never know him for the same boy. Everyone except who? His mother. Yeah, you remember his mother from early in the book. His mother and father, were they were, they were modern people raising their children in modern ways. They wouldn't even recognize when their child got better because they were so busy messing up their child. But yeah, everyone knows he was much, much, much better except his own mother, who would be Aunt Alberta to, to Edmund and Lucy, who said he'd become very commonplace and tiresome. 
And it must have been the influence of those Pevensey children. The end. So, that is the end of uh, the voyage of the Dutch.